0: Dan Done. Dan. Dan Dan
1: Hi and welcome to Dancast, the digital advertising news podcast brought to you by Searchstar. Uh, my name's Nick and I'm the marketing manager at Search Star, and I'm joined by Dan once again. Hi, Dan. Hi, Nick. Yep, it's Dan here.
2: How's it going? Have you had a good very, week. Yeah, very good. Thanks very much. Bit of a sugar rush this morning. There was a cake, cake bake off in the office. Who do you think won? Mm-hmm. Who do you think won? The secret. The Star Baker will be awarded later today, but it could easily be a type of brownie. Do you, do you know? You know. I who do know. Who? I I actually give. You know. Well, this will I, become. I, a, I give Star Bakery each, do each you? time. Yeah. Okay. So, so sixth or second bake off we've done. Well, and I mean, and each time one of the humbling, humbling jobs of the MD is to award the star baker prize for the cake he likes best. Imagine the perks.
1: <laughs> there was quite a lot of brownie, but I think I think there was one clear favourite. This is being I think this is being released after we announced them, but well done to to that person. Um if you need a bit more information about us personally or about Search Star as a company, uh you can go to episode one of Dancast, um which I heartily recommend. Oh it was it was it's <laughs> broadcast history. Absolutely fantastic. We've had ten, ten count them five-star reviews over the past month um of our first episode. I I can't say whether I had a hand in any threats that were made if they weren't given, but we have 10 five-star reviews. And if, when listening to this podcast, any burning questions come up, um, please feel free to catch us at hashtag DanCast on Twitter with any of your questions, and we'll try and respond to them uh, next month. Uh, Anyway, I was a bit worried at the start of the month about there being a bit of lack of digital advertising news. Um, I was... Sort of perusing the internet for something to talk about, uh, and nothing was really becoming apparent to me. However, quite a bit has happened in the last two, two or three weeks that is worth talking about. Yeah, it. absolutely worth talking about. It's, it's, it's going to fill our time. We've got plenty to talk about, to be honest. Obviously, we'll be covering the latest news, and we'll be receiving a visit from our director of conversion, um, Ryan Webb. We like Ryan, don't we? We do. He'll be coming to talk about GDPR. He is our font of GDPR knowledge and soon to be contributor to the Creative Bath GDPR event, which I'm told is sold out. People can't get enough of the Creative Bath GDPR event at which Ryan will be speaking. So yeah, we'll be hearing um, from him very, very soon. But time is short, so I think we should jump straight into the news, into this month's news. First up is Unilever. Unilever? Unilever? Unilever. Unilever. Uh, who has threatened to withdraw its advertising from Facebook and Google, which is quite a big threat, really. And apparently they'll follow through if those platforms fail to eradicate content, which creates division in society and promotes anger and hate. Uh, Just to give you a bit of context, Unilever is the world's second biggest marketing spender after P&G and spent £6.8 billion last year advertising its brands. Uh, Its brands include Marmite, Dove, Magnum, Cornetto, I think, Purcell, Lipton, Knorr, Bitolli, and, perhaps most importantly, I think you'll agree, Dan, Vaseline. (laughs) (laughs) Fine. (laughs) I I don't know about you, but I don't want to see Vaseline disappearing from my Facebook feed. But this is what... um, So Keith Weed, their uh, CMO, had this to say. Uh, We cannot continue to prop up a digital supply chain one that delivers over a quarter of our advertising to consumers, which at times is little better than a swamp in terms of its transparency. To me, uh, this seems... Uh, this, isn't, this is me now, Nick Livermore, not, uh, not Keith Weed. Um, but to me, this seems to represent a running theme of advertising conservatism, uh, a backlash, if you will, against controversial content. Uh, we, I think we saw it with Facebook and YouTube last month. But do you, Dan, think we'll see more of this in the future? I think we'll see plenty more threats for it in the future,
2: especially if the media owners don't clean up as quick. And I think it's part of a... Unilever would like to be our sort of ethical... Like I want to be the ethical, the most environmentally responsible, the sort of most right-on of the big FMCG companies. And the sort of advertising that people like Dove has run for women's rights and sort of female awareness... I think I think it's brilliant, and they've done a sort of great job on that. And they're, they're, they're so they're actively trying to be progressive, and I think they're really struggling on there, and they're seeing an opportunity to push the media owners to clean up, to polish Unilever's own reputation. But also, I think there's there's the the big one is that Unilever can see their customers going onto the likes of Facebook and going onto Unilever in vast volumes, yet. Unilever feels nervous about putting its brands within some of the content. And I think it's just a sort of straightforward commercial appeal slightly from Unilever, saying, look, guys, if you don't clean up these media platforms, much as we'd love to give you share of advertising spend, we're reluctantly going to have to keep it with ITV, with the poster companies, with the big radio companies, which Unilever doesn't particularly want to do, because for an advertiser, the more good choices you have as to ways to spread your money the better deals you can negotiate the bigger reach you can achieve so i think it's a it's a straightforward appeal to please clean up your act and we'll give you money and conversely if you can't clean up the act then
1: reluctantly we won't give you our money do 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 you think this so so what you're saying essentially is this is the same thing that happened with centre parks and was it the daily mail over the past week where centre parks you know family advert appeared alongside some some sort of piece of like homophobic my, content, a bit a bit of homophobic content from the Daily Mail, and Centre Park said, right right fine, we're not advertising with you anymore, and pulled all their advertising from that. Pulled
2: their advertising. Center Park's are quite a right on Dutch company. They know that the vast majority of their their customers are not going to remotely support the the stance of the Daily Mail, and they're scoring a point for themselves. And also doing a bit for the country to say, actually, come on, Daily Mail, you really, you know, the, the people have moved on, even if the editors of the Daily Mail haven't. Um, I think the Unilever you know, one is interesting when taken into context with the big push that P&G made last year. P&G, who are the world's largest advertiser, made a speech last year talking about where the, the, the P&G bot, where it was the chief, chief exec or the CMO at P&G, where basically he said that he thought he was getting ripped off. ...by The whole digital supply chain, in that the amount of markups that were going on that were being hidden you know, plus 50% of advertising pounds that he was spending were not ending up with the media owners and the publishers, they were getting filtered off with various bits of the supply chain. And then the tracking he was getting given back, the accountability he was getting was deeply suspect. And they essentially said, Look, clean up your act, give us, give us value, stop skimming off our money. And give us proper tracking and accountability and we will continue to be able to spend with you. And I think part of this commentary from Unilever is in exactly the same genre with an added sort of ethical brand safety overlay coming out of Unilever. And it's a big push that the media owners are probably going to listen to. We were doing some quick sums. I think after the YouTube issues last month, YouTube announced they'd hired 5,000 content checkers to check that... The content was as clean as it was purporting to be and to categorise it and deliver brand safety. And you work out, if they pay the, each of those people £20,000, £20, yeah. 5000 times 20000 means means £100, 100 million pound at wage bill they're paying, which is quite chunky. But then when you look at a PNG or a, a, a Unilever with an ad budget of $7.7 7 billion... Euro. Euro, of which they spend a quarter... With Facebook and Google, so Unilever alone has a pushing 2 billion euro, 1.5 billion pound ad budget. It's fairly... Pra- the, to spend with Facebook and Google, it's fairly practical that the likes of Google shouldn't shy away from spending 100,000 pounds buying some people to clean up its content.
1: 100 million. 100 million. <laughs> but even so, still. Yeah. Still a small percentage. Well, 10, what, 10%. ten But yeah. still not, you know, not massive. So you, you, do, do you, you do see it as a credible threat? Yeah, no, completely. They will. They will. If, if they're not happy with the
2: where where with the environments they're going to place their content their, their brands, they'll pull it reluctantly. They don't particularly want to do it. And I don't think they're doing it from a. I think there's a slight wider benefit to society, and there's a and, the, and there's a larger piece of brand safety. Okay,
1: there we go. Item number one ticked. Actually, now I think we're going to head over to Ryan. Ryan's going to give us his thoughts on GDPR and a breakdown of what digital advertisers need to look out for when GDPR hits in May. This podcast is owned and operated by Search Star Limited. Ryan's GDPR knowledge is super deeply informed, but he's not a trained practitioner of the law, so you should probably consult with one before making any big changes off the back of his advice. Welcome, Ryan.
0: Hello. How are you? Are you Are you stoked? To I'm, be on our podcast. I'm really excited to be on the podcast. I'm just slightly disappointed about the subject you've invited me to talk about. But GDPR. Absolutely. General Data Protection
1: Regulation. Correct. Correct. Gen- General Data Protection Regulation. You don't need Coming me. in on May the... 25th. May the 25th of this year. As I said at the start of the podcast, Ryan is our font of GDPR knowledge, uh, but he's also our conversion director i think is that your is that your official title
0: conversion and analytics director is conversion and analytics the, sorry the, i've the, sold him the, short the full i've sold him the, short full title
1: but yeah he'll be talking at the bath creative creative bath creative bath gdpr Session, yeah,
0: they which have, is sold out. They've invited somebody who knows a bit more about it than me along to do a proper to it from the legal side. Legal side, I'll be there yeah. just to just to reassure people that it's not too much to worry about. Hundreds well. of
1: people in attendance, I've heard. I believe so. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Can I just check you did you did do the uh, you've done the sort of caveat beforehand, haven't you? I've yeah, done the check. caveat. i not yeah. going to get caught out. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh,
1: basically, that bit of really fast uh, voice you heard before means um, you can't sue us. Anyway, so I've asked Ryan to give us a 60 second. Rundown of GDPR.
0: Go. Okay, so we know what it stands for. It's another acronym. It's not something to be too scared about because essentially it is an updated version of something we already have, which is the Data Protection Act that's about 20 years old. Uh, It is a little bit stricter than that, as you'd expect, because of the amount of data that um, companies have access to nowadays. But basically, it's to make sure that businesses process and store personal data securely, have the correct permission to do whatever they're going to do with it, provide the ability to unsubscribe and for people to remove themselves from the databases, and that essentially the businesses are clear and transparent about what they're doing with the data and sort of summarize that in in a privacy policy and other documentation. Um, So, yeah, it's, it's essentially it's an update, and it's driven by sort of, regulation in in europe but it's something that's coming in in the uk is that 60 seconds
1: that's about 60 seconds a very succinct 60 seconds probably more like 55 but that's plenty (laughs) that's plenty next thing top three things digital advertisers need to look out for before may
0: or should already be looking out for okay so sort of things that more specifically affect digital advertisers well one thing that we've definitely noticed is that lots of media owners and and clients to be fair are asking us to sign up to new terms and conditions so those businesses that are already sort of planning ahead and understanding the implications are are sending out new new t's and c's to their to their partners and and suppliers so um, that's happening for us including the likes of google and facebook are asking us to sign up to different different t's and c's the second thing i think would be that you'll start to see a more of a focus on user experience because of the nature of collection of personal data lots of especially digital online experiences people um are going to be going through giving giving their handing their data over and there will be extra time and effort that's been invested in making sure those slightly more lengthy experiences run smoothly um i'm sure there'll be some botched jobs as well but i think we should see some nice neat executions there um and the third thing I'd go for would be, I think we should probably look out for some last minute scaremongering because it happened with the cookie law a few years ago. I start to get some phone calls from some people who are trying to use that sort of last minute nervousness to sell their their products, which would be the solution to everything. Um, and I think the same thing will probably happen this time around as people start to get a bit more nervous as the date date comes around. But hopefully people you know will be planning ahead and, and won't be too too nervous about it. So
1: don't don't let yourself get sold to. For, Absolutely, for, for no reason. Yeah, don't panic at the last. For no minute. reason, but yeah. if we try and sell to you, then maybe say yes. <laughs> and the other thing is, what? How should these? How, how should you prepare for GDPR? If if you're, I mean, really, you should have done it already. But if you haven't, how should you prepare for GDPR?
0: Well, there's there's a whole host of things that you could could do. I mean, essentially, you need to demonstrate that you're. Aware of it, and that you're that you're you're prepping for it. But if I had sort of the top top three things that I'd do for that would be the first one would be I'd make somebody an, an individual responsible for GDPR in the business. So they understand that they're the ones that have got to go and learn more about it otherwise everyone's sort of shrugging their shoulders and, and looking the other way so ha- allocate that responsibility hopefully there's somebody obvious in the business to that, to do that someone like ryan <laughs> yeah, absolutely then that person needs to lead an exercise where they understand essentially what personal data um uh, that you as a business have what do you get received from other other third parties what do you collect yourself so sort of yeah make sure you 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 understand what what you're actually exposing yourself to, and ignorant, you know, not knowing isn't an excuse here because that's actually sort of making you even more guilty, if you like. The ignorance, mm-hmm. ignorance doesn't get like get you off. Um, and the last thing then would be once you understand the data would be to make sure that you what data you are collecting, those people that you're you're collecting data from understand what you're doing with their data, so why you collected it in the first place and what you're going to be doing with their data. Um, so you might want to revisit some of the messaging around that data collection point and um, maybe your privacy policy, that sort of thing.
1: And and sort of looking beyond May, what, what do you think we'll see once GDPR comes into effect, essentially? Uh, do you think we'll see anybody caught out immediately? Will there be a big game hunt or will small advertisers bear the brunt of GDPR litigation, I guess? Or will those litigation litigators take time to ready their cases? Well, I want some predictions from Ryan,
0: <laughs> mr um, well, Ryan. The, the, the difficulty is obviously we don't have any idea what, what's going to happen. And I think that's one of the reasons that this sort of regulatory area is so difficult for people to know what to do because... Everyone's got a different view on, on on what's needed and what will happen. Um, and as with the, the cookie law, sort of six six or seven years ago, um, people did all kinds of different things. And and then over time, the landscape sort of evolves, and and it becomes clearer where the sort of middle ground is. So fundamentally, I think the same thing I, th- I think will happen with this. We'll have some people that will do some extreme responses, and we'll have some forms um, online inquiry forms that are pretty much impossible to fill out and i think there are going to be a whole bunch of people that do nothing Mm -hmm. um and what will evolve will be something in between but i I think we may have some people who made examples of but i don't think it will be huge huge fines i think that ico might decide to sort of make a make a song and dance about a couple of situations more to inform people what they should be doing rather than trying to actually sort of penalise or punish people too much. And these te- these things take a long, long time to sort of work through as well. So last year, the ICO fined a couple of charities for sort of breaching decades-old data protection mm-hmm. law um, because they were doing wealth profiling. Um, and the fines weren't huge, but they, they got a lot of PR off the back of it. And it's just kind of like a slap over the wrists. Usually, the ICO wants to work with businesses to get... Get businesses working in the, in a sort of a better way, rather than um, more like a shock and awe type tactic. That, that might be more interesting to see, as long as it's not you. But I don't <laughs> think I don't think we'll see anything too groundbreaking.
1: Okay, so well, that's that's GDPR from Ryan in eight minutes twenty seconds. Uh, we should say that there is a blog on the search star post oh, from yeah. Ryan about yeah. GDPR. So Excellent. if you want to find out a little bit more, that sh- probably should be your first port of call. Uh, I guess the next one is probably your lawyer. Some legal advice. Definitely. Again, I can't stress enough that Ryan
0: is not legally qualified. When I get invited back on again, can I talk about something other than GDPR, please?
1: Yes, yeah, you can. You can talk about okay. so- something to do with conversion or analytics, two things you are the
0: director of. That'd be great.
1: Thanks, Ryan. Thanks. A Bye-bye. Lot. Bye bye. Bye. Should we talk about ad blocking on Chrome? Let's talk about ad blocking on Chrome. Google ad blocking on Chrome. This has been for those in the know, people have been talking about it for, for around a year now, Google uh, introducing its own version of Adblock uh, on its Chrome internet browser, uh, which is actually the by far and away the biggest, uh, most popular internet browser on the web. Uh, their new Adblock came into effect on the 15th of February. And basically, that Adblocker will be blocking certain advertising that doesn't meet Google's quality standards. Sites that fail to meet those standards uh, for 30 days will have all their ads blocked by Google, even those owned or served by Google, and I think that's an important point, um, after which they'll be able to submit their sites for manual review to have those ads re-enabled once the bad ads are removed. I think the burning question that most of you will be, be thinking, will have in your mind, is how will this affect my advertising? Dan, how do you think this change will affect advertising?
2: I think it will affect it very, very, very little. Um, I think it will affect some publishers, some smaller fringe publishers that supply direct response space to the market who have been running some fairly aggressive, unpleasant types of ad spot. I know that the criminal that's always in my mind is the Bath Chronicle. I, I live in Bath. The local <laughs> paper is the Bath Chronicle. They have a website going to the Bath Chronicle. And they have horrendous advertising that sort of expands and distorts the page. It's, it's the same with the Bristol Post. And it's I think all cool. of the local papers run similar systems. Well, they're all owned by the same company, aren't They're all owned by the they? same so, company. You know. and, the, and it ruins the experience. And every time you go on, you think, bloody hell, I should really install an ad blocker. And I think similarly, if you are somebody who uses dodgy streaming sites or anything else where the ads, where you're willing to put up with quite a lot to get to the content you're after, those sorts of sites are going to find that their content gets blocked. But... In terms of what the vast bulk of advertisers are trying to do, that's really just going to cut out some stuff around the edges because the vast bulk of the ad ecosystem doesn't play that way. And Google are going to allow them to keep working the way they work, running relevant, not that intrusive advertising that blends fairly well with the content it's integrated with.
1: It's interesting, actually. I think um, the commentary around all this says that for, apparently 42% of advertisers were notified that maybe they need to take a look at their ads, which which I find remarkable because, I, I mean, I went out to the, our, our teams at SearchStar yesterday and asked the question, has anyone even asked a question about it, or did you have to do anything for Google's new ad blocking feature? Didn't get anything back. I don't think anyone had any impact from it. And, and apparently, actually, the change will affect fewer than 1%. Of, of advertising across the web it'll affect some
2: ad networks is what will affect there been yeah. some ad networks that have been set up to run particular types where they they've parceled up various publishers and said right we, we want to run this type of advertising in your site it's going to be very intrusive it's going to be very shouty but there's going to be good money in it for both of us and but kind of sod the consumer and those networks I think there will be some of them that will be that will be closed down by this, or they will be forced to reassess their practices, essentially, because they're going to find they get all their ads blocked.
1: But ultimately, if you're running clean advertising, you're unlikely to be particularly... Chances are, if
2: you're running if you're running clean advertising with, especially if you run it with the large networks,
1: especially if you run it with Google, you will find your advertising <laughs> is unaffected. Because that well, that brings us on to the real driving force, doesn't it? Really, behind this new tool mm-hmm. is. Google isn't going to destroy the main source of its revenue,
2: no. which is Google advertising. This is the Fox guarding the hen house, the vampire guarding the blood
1: bank. This is Google's Google answer is... to third-party ad blockers yep. which are used by around fifty percent of desktop users uh, that actually block out all advertising. Yeah. The... And what's Google what Google's saying, I think, is that advertising isn't a bad thing as long as it's done well and if the bad ones, the bad pieces of advertising, the Bath Chronicle, mm-hmm. is, dro- is driving users to block out all advertising with an ad blocker, it's losing, essentially it loses that source of income for no real reason. The good people who are advertising lose their income because of a few bad spammy eggs. bad ads. Would you agree? That, I think I think that's the, the positive way of looking at it. And Google are scared
2: of ad blockers. They They... They've been watching the the whole industry's been watching the rise of ad blockers with a bit of fear, and the ad blocking industries are no angels. They are essentially blackmailers um, who will whitelist your site if you pay them enough um, for advertising, which the likes of Google and Facebook have been paying them. Um, And Google and Facebook essentially want to cut these people off by saying, actually, look, guys, there is saying to the consumer, there is no need to get an ad blocker because Google Chrome has reduced the problem of interference already.
1: So basically, what Google's hoping is that by introducing its own ad blocker, mm-hmm. fewer people will use ad blockers and block ads. Yeah. So <laughs> it's quite it's quite a funny position that we've got. Well, they're to, they're, they're we?
2: producing an ad blocker that screens out the the real you are, you in people install ad blockers when they get when they get when the tipping point is reached where they think. I really hate the advertising on this site, and they have conversations with the people at the next desk about, bloody hell, how do you get these ads? They're so annoying. And the person says, oh, you install an ad blocker. And Google is hoping that by using their ad blocker, that type of conversation, the type of ads that tip people into that conversation will not get served, so people will never make the leap to get to bothering to download one.
1: It's essentially an act of passion, isn't it? People... People are browsing the website and they land on the Bath Chronicle and, and, and they're faced with all these homepage takeovers that completely disrupt their use, the usability of the website. And their head explodes and they go, ah, oh, I'm so angry, I'm going to install this third party ad blocker. And basically, Google's just trying to get rid of that. Yes. I don't, is... And they've ganged up with their mates. And there is a slight bit of inner crowd,
2: the big boys are looking after themselves. And they're slightly, the people who are getting picked on are the people who aren't necessarily the larger players. Yeah. It's the sort of fringe, slightly more cowboy players who are getting penalised. Probably largely justified. I think there are a couple of instances where Google have been slightly lenient with some of their own products that mm-hmm. are also quite intrusive. That's the way it seems to work at the moment. They may change their minds and also decide to phase those products out themselves as well.
1: And then taking it out ever so slightly wider, does Google have too much control? I think I think the fact that they're blocking ads and controlling advertising on their Large market share internet browser says something about Google. Actually, maybe maybe they do have too much control. I mean, the electronic. sorry, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, uh, which is a non-profit digital rights organisation. They issued a statement on Friday, which I guess was probably the 16th of February. Um, They say that this this change lacks a consumer voice and and it's an example of Google exploiting its browser dominance to shape the conditions of the advertising market and and, and the fact that all of this raises some concerns about the monopoly Google essentially has. What do you think? I think that's completely true. I think... It's difficult to comp-
2: Google is incredibly dominant at the moment, and I think it tries to wear its dominance as lightly as it possibly can. But it could just the, the internet is a fast moving or digital advertising is a fast moving place. Something else could come along in, within the next twelve months that will dramatically change the landscape. Do you, do you, and, you
1: think we'll see any any sort of attempted? Legal action against Google? Because I think somebody might well
2: have a pop legal action because Google have pots of money, and a lawyer will fancy <laughs> <Yeah>. taking some <laughs> yeah, off yeah, them. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> I may as well take some of that. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure some publisher
1: will complain that they've been bankrupted by it unfairly. Well, well, we'll see what comes out in the wash. But yeah, the, the bottom line is, if you're a good advertiser. Don't don't worry about it, and this is probably a positive change for you.
2: And if the bulk of your money, ad money, is spent with Facebook and Google and the large media owners, chances are you're not going to notice a thing.
1: No, Google doesn't, at the end of the day, want to lose its revenue. And finally, news item number three. I think we, I think it's about time we throw Bing a bit of a bone. It isn't just all Google. We're talking about Google competition, so let's talk about Bing. This month, uh, Bing announced that it was launching audience segmentation reporting to give advertisers detailed insights about how their search audiences are performing. The new feature that Bing have released also makes it easy to compare audiences against non-targeted users. Advertisers can see audience data by audience category, uh, audience name, or additional segments, including account summary, campaigns, ad groups, ad keywords, and ad extensions. So what's the interesting thing here? Couple of interesting things. I mean, a it's technically it's mildly interesting
2: what they're doing. That is something we normally think of Google or Bing themselves define themselves as a fast follower of AdWords of Google Google's AdWords system. Because AdWords is the dominant platform, and what they try and do is they try and make their system replicate AdWords as tightly and as quickly as possible, so that digital planners can just copy across their AdWords campaigns into Bing as seamlessly as possible. Here, they've stepped a tiny bit in front of Google, one with a quite a neat bit of reporting that actually allows a sort of fairly straightforward comparison of search campaigns with and without the audience overlays so you can see the effect of them. But also, actually, what they're allowing you to overlay onto the search campaigns, which we were talking about it earlier in the office. Essentially, they're allowing you to overlay things like in-market segments onto search. And we were thinking, well, kind of what's the point? Because search... <laughs> Search by definition, the reason most people buy search is because search is a fabulous definer of the fact that somebody is in market. You know, the fact that I've searched for holidays in Thailand, there's not much point in overlaying an audience of people who are interested in long haul holidays onto a search for holidays in Thailand. Because the the way they built the audience, the, the in-market audience, is probably off some search search activity that that individual has historically done or the fact that they've been onto Expedia and have been doing some searches within Expedia. And so the, I suppose the only thing that it tells you in that instance is that the person has probably been looking for holidays in Thailand for a while because they've already yeah. got mm-hmm. into some bucket. Where we came up with it as a bit more interesting was when we were thinking, okay, fine. So say somebody is in a in an audience bucket of people who are interested in long-haul holidays, and then they search for flights okay. yes. or flight apps. And then you kind of know, OK, fine, so they're not after a low-cost carrier flight to Dublin from London. They are after, chances are they're after a long-haul flight, so I will, so the, the, flight, the basket value of the flight is going to be a bit higher, so I might bid on it.
1: So there are applications for it. But it's a little strange. It's a little strange. So I guess what you're saying is, you know, it's a potentially an interesting new feature for some people, Um not going to change But it's not going to it, enhance campaigns Next. considerably. It's not going to. It's not providing that much more value. It's a, um, it's a
2: small increment on something on 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 the secondary the secondary search engine.
1: And do do you think do you think it sort of smacks of Bing maybe looking for a win over Facebook and Google? I think it's a nice PR story. I think they can
2: say, actually, we're not just the Me Too. You Actually, we're out in front every now and then. And here they're out in front. It triggered a conversation within the office about actually how big is Bing. Sort of if, if, if Bing is 5%, 10%, 15%, 20% of the market, then how seriously, you know, how big is it? And it triggered. And we then, there were various conversations about, well, what percentage of budget goes on to Bing? And we came up with, I think there was some research published um in August seventeen, sort of somebody had harvested some search traffic. I'm trying to remember this source, it's the source of Statistista. <laughs> Statistista. Um where they reckoned that Bing had um nine percent of worldwide search on desktop, but they had thirty-three percent in the USA, which is wow. a fairly stunning stat that they were doing quite so well in the States. I think those in the UK, which we're more familiar with, that research said they had 26% of the search market. And I think most people would be pretty surprised yeah, in pretty the UK surprised. to hear that it's got 26% of search. Until you start chopping the numbers and say, well, actually, that's desktop only. Because practically speaking, yeah. on Bing, they've got close to zero. Nearly all online searches, with nearly all mobile searches with Google.
1: Um, on mobile? On mobile. Sorry, mobile. And zero, if you reckon that Bing. more
2: than 50% of search is done ...on mobiles these days, then that bit isn't eligible for them. Okay. And then we sort of think about it internally. And normally when I look at an account here, we will find that we're spending somewhere between 7 and 12% of a budget on Bing... Uh-huh. ...is where it goes. If it's spending less than that, you normally think that somebody isn't quite taking Bing as seriously... ...or maybe it's a young audience or an audience that isn't as Bingy Because Bing audiences <laughs> tend to be a bit older and more conservative. People who got their, got their PC out of the box... Unloaded it, and a nice browser called Internet Explorer popped to the top, and the, sc- <laughs> the home page loaded to Bing, and they've never quite worked out how to change it.
1: So you're saying Bing? Bing's as big as it is because old people don't know that. There is a to skew. Use. There's
2: a slight skew towards older people, but also they're very good at integrating the search in with the various the Microsoft Office suite of products. They're good at getting it into the yeah. Xbox. There's other there's other places they get it. they, they get it in. So, so it's in, it's interesting. It's nice to see Bing moving ahead with something, but I don't think it's groundbreaking news. And and actually, even as a Bing user, you could, it's not something that I immediately came up with four use cases for. I thought, brilliant, well, I'll make sure I'll get those clients onto that.
1: You're a Bing user? Well, no, but all of our clients advertise oh, on see, Bing. See, I think it's only a Bing user. I was quite no. surprised Dan's a Bing user. I mean, he's got, I think we talked about last time, he's got a, what's your phone? Pixel 2. can't imagine he's bing on pixel 2 no i can imagine it would be quite an effort to get it on there yeah (laughs) search for bing your phone explodes anyway i think that's about time we've been going for 28 minutes which i think is already longer than last week's podcast and that doesn't even include ryan's segment yet so um good night good good night good night from us thanks a lot bye-bye